Hey everybody, welcome to the Stewardship Simplified Podcast, the place where pastors, practitioners, and partners come together to talk about the realities and challenges of giving in stewardship today and what's coming up tomorrow. Hear from experts in generosity and leadership as they share their insights on best practices, trends, and resources. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Stewardship Simplified Podcast. Rick Wheeler here. And I am delighted to bring a conversation to you. I got a chance to sit down recently with a friend of mine, Pastor Zach Terry at First Baptist Fernandina here in Northeast Florida. And uh, Zach has become a friend over the past few years and I've just enjoyed watching his life and leadership. Uh, He's been helpful to me and the organization here. And uh, God's just done some amazing things there in the life of his church. So we get into that in this conversation. Uh, One of the things he's led them to be able to pay off $12 million worth of debt. And that's just a big number. That's a scary number. And so we kind of dive into that. Uh, We also get into how to best relate to high capacity donors. And sometimes, uh, you know, those relationships can be a little delicate and uh, sensitive. So he's uh, shares some wisdom and life experience around that. And so, just uh, a th- a thrilled to bring you this conversation and excited. So let's jump into my conversation with Pastor Zach Terry. Well, hello, friends. Uh, Rick Wheeler here, and I have a great ministry partner and friend in the, uh, the the great offices of Florida Baptist Financial Services here in Jacksonville, also serving as our podcast re- recording studio. Uh, but I have Pastor Zach Terry with us. He's the pastor, senior pastor at First Baptist Fernandina. So, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. It's yeah. honored to be here. We've known each other a few years. Now, how long have you been at First Baptist Fernandina? I just completed my fifth anniversary. Oh, there. great. Congratulations. So, I, you're, you're, you should, you're about to become the pastor at yeah. that point. I believe that's how it works, right? I think Dr. Rogers said you got to be seven years. Yeah, that yeah. is what I've heard. You, you get a business card when you walk in, but you actually uh, become the pastor that's a few true. years later. That's so. right. Uh, and I think this might be your first time serving in Florida. Is that true? It is. I did uh, nine years of itinerant ministry where I, I spoke at youth camps and that sort yeah. of thing back in the day. But um, on staff, this is my first first gig in Florida. Well, if people have not yet uh, come across the name and fame of Pastor Zach Terry, uh, give us a little bit of your background, uh, where you're from. I know uh, uh, you were in, I think, Alabama? For I was. I, w- I was born and raised in North Alabama, uh, pastored there for nine years prior to coming to Florida. Um, came to Christ uh, as a college student. My dad was a first-generation believer. And so um, really was able to watch him as an entrepreneur as he um, developed his business, built his business, and went from, you know, living in a single wide trailer Mm -hmm. to having one of the biggest businesses of its type in Alabama. So that unknowingly equipped me for a lot of what I do Mm -hmm. in church now, specifically with the um the high capacity donors and and understanding their perspective a little bit Mm -hmm. but um 25 years preaching 25 years in ministry and have the good fortune now of being able to serve on the staff at first baptist in fernandina and just an absolute dream 
uh, for me to to be in that location with those people mm-hmm. and to serve as their senior pastor. Uh, just a little a personal connection there. I had the privilege of uh, interacting with the search team uh, who brought oh, really? you there. And I'm not taking credit or blame yeah. for anything, <laughs> but uh, was able to uh, do the, the search team training for them at that time. Wow. And they did good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I know just some really great people. That In fact, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. When, uh, when I went there to train the search team, and I have six or seven people on the team, and I talked about the importance of how this is a spiritual process of selecting your next pastor. And I was talking about how important it is to bathe in, in prayer. And they said, oh, yes, we know that. And in fact, while we are meeting here and receiving this training and th- talking about how we're going to lay out a, a map for the search process, there are a group of people down the hall uh, while we That's are true. here tr- right. praying for us and for our next pastor. So. Uh, you were being prayed for uh, before you even got to Fernandina. I've never met a more um, spiritually sensitive, uh, spirit-led group of people yeah. um, than that particular team and the people that they represented when we came was just um, a joy. You know, it made the process so much more peaceful and yeah. affirming. And I, do you remember at the time what the church was running? I'm I don't. thinking yeah. it was just over 300. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I tr- attribute this to just a work of God and, and the and the people really being sensitive to the leadership of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But Sunday, a w- this past Sunday, we had our first business as usual Sunday over a thousand. Wow! And so in five years, we've just really been able to reach that community and 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 grow into that building building that they yeah. anticipated the growth and yeah. built for now how, they just we've done a whole different podcast on pre-covid post-covid leadership realities but but that business as usual sunday of a thousand how does that compare to pre-covid trajectory we were probably just before covid in the fives Mm-hmm. So we've come out of COVID strong. Really it's have, it's yeah. been an anomaly mm-hmm. in many, many ways. Okay. But there are some things we can look at and say they're transferable and we can learn from those. Some of it's just a work of God, yeah. but um, but it really has been an unusual season of growth in that church. That's, that's you know? great. Um, Jesus is still building his church, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes we get a front row seat of, of right. watching that happen. So talk us through five years of ministry. Uh, you know, our, our conversations here tr- tend to help leaders think through the, the financial and the stewardship and the generosity components of church life. So uh, as much as you're comfortable and it would be helpful to share, because like you said, some things are transferable and some things right. are just the story of our church. But, but what have been some celebrations, what have been some wins from where you were to what you've seen God do over the last five years? When I came in to, to First Baptist, one of the big concerns was the debt they had built. They had relocated a downtown First Baptist church onto a um, major road. It's kind of the, the mm-hmm. center road when you come into the, the island. Right. And they had gone into $12 million of debt and we're very concerned about that. We had led our previous church to be debt-free and had given a great deal to missions up in Alabama. And so when we came here, part of it was ignorant, ignorance on my part. I'm not a mathematician, I'm not a financial guru. And so looking at the big number, um, I said, you know, I learned a lot from uh, the great theologian Willie Nelson 
when uh, Willie found out he had a huge tax debt, he said, well, you know, if you say it fast, it doesn't sound like that much, you know. And so $12 million, if you say it fast, didn't sound like that much. And so we came in and hit the ground running, um, you know, began building relationships with the people. We, um, there was one particular week where a gentleman came in and made a very large contribution. Now, at that time, I, I, if I remember correctly, it was $20,000. Mm-hmm. So it, it was on our radar. Not who it was, but someone let me know we've received a large check, $20,000. I think the annual budget at that time was uh, $1.3 million. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, it's $6 million that we're going to reach this year. Mm-hmm. So it's grown mm-hmm. rapidly. Yeah. But at that time, a $20,000 check was significant. Then the next week, we got it again, Mm -hmm. and the next week Mm -hmm. again. And that went on for a number of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was in this awkward position of saying, you know, you want to say thank you, but you have to acknowledge who the person is to say thank you. And so we made a judgment call to look into some information, find out who the person was, mm-hmm. and to reach out to, to him. And I was just real honest with him, and, and I said, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm taking a risk here by letting you know that I knew what I know what right. you did, yeah. that you gave. Um, but on the other hand, I would be taking a risk of you thinking we were not grateful mm-hmm. if we didn't say anything. So I said, I just want you to know I appreciate it. Over the next few months, as I got to know that gentleman, I found out that he came to Christ under the preaching of a, a televangelist out in Texas. When he told me that, uh, the gentleman's name and, and who had led him to the Lord, it was just one of those moments, emotional moments, because my grandmother, who raised 12 children, was dirt, literally dirt poor, used to contribute to that mm. ministry. Wow. Yeah. I'm talking four to six dollars a week. Sure. And when she passed away, we found all of those envelopes and all mm. of those um, giving statements yeah. uh, in in a drawer in her little house that she didn't have a television. She didn't, mm. didn't you know all of those things were just she was had so little to give, yeah. but here I was reaping the benefit. Yeah in my mind, and then I think in God's mind, yeah. of her generosity years ago yeah. uh, in this uh, this just incredibly generous, high-capacity giver. Yeah. And so as we got to know him, we've, we began to uh, recognize that they know each other, hmm. you know, uh, wealthy people mm-hmm. and generous people. Right. They know each other. And so that, that tribe began to grow. Mm-hmm. And it became more normal okay. for us to get those kind of checks. Yeah. And we we started to um, broach the subject and, and recognize that there were, there were needs in those families that the average pastor can't relate to. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you do if you've got a large legacy to leave financially to, to two children? Yeah. One's very virtuous and godly. The other is hooked on a prescription drug. One, you could bless the world through Mm -hmm. the first child. The second child, you could destroy him. 
well, I never thought about those things before. Right. And so we, we started to recognize some of the needs in those in that community and and just bring in discipleship that was tailored to that community and worked with uh, some of our friends in Orlando. We mm-hmm. conducted some Bible studies and it really just allowed them more than anything to cross-pollinate and to to show each other, well, here's how I'm involved. Here's what my priorities are. Here's how we've dealt with those issues. And they really began to disciple each other, and I just eavesdropped during most of it, you know. The the things everybody knew, the principles of to whom much is given, much is expected, and that sort of thing. But it just gave us a place for a conversation Mm. more than anything. And it seems God's blessed that. Yeah, yeah. You know. Now, and so I want to kind of boil it down to some of these transferable principles because most of the pastors and church leaders who will be listening to this aren't leading a church with a multi-million dollar budget and even have as much capacity. But that doesn't mean there aren't people of wealth or have people of means within a church. Uh, we've shared on some other conversations we've had that, you know, the people that you, from the outside, you know, you might think have wealth or, or have the capacity to give maybe aren't in that kind of a position right. and the people that are in that position sometimes don't appear to be that's right and so i guess some things i would want to ask you would be you know how have you um just some real practical transferable things and we've already mentioned prayer being a mm-hmm. part of the journey right but uh, if you were just kind of sitting with a, a group of three or four other <laughs> younger pastors what would you boil it down to to say hey there's some key ingredients or key elements that you want to include in your leadership whether you're pastoring 50 or 500 or more? Well, there's a lot I'm not going to say. I'm going to assume that your listeners probably would understand already. The things that I've learned that have really been important, Mm -hmm. one thing in particular would be that church membership for the average person is very intuitive. It's not very linear and logical the way that we think as seminarians or theologians you know we wish that a person would walk through the door of the church and you know start out and say are they trinitarian you know (laughs) what's their stance on um, the scriptures you know all these different things that's just not the way it is right it's very intuitive they either feel at home there or they do not Mm -hmm. and if they do not feel at home in your congregation they're going to go somewhere else Mm -hmm. and that's true for the homeless person who rides up on a bike, yeah. and it's true for the person who has four or five homes. Mm-hmm. And what we found is, is if we can make the high-capacity donor feel that he's at home or she's at home in our congregation, everybody else is going to appreciate that environment as well. Yeah. yeah. So last night, I sat in my office, I looked out the window, and I see a line of people from the homeless community that are there because we feed them. Mm. And they are welcome there. They use our showers. They they come to our worship service. They sing in our choir. Mm. And they know that's their home yeah. because we love them. And we, we reach out to them, and we let them treat it like a home. Yeah. But at the same time, when you walk onto our campus, it is well put together. Mm-hmm. The landscaping is always immaculate. You walk into the, the lobby of the church, and it's going to feel like home to a person who lives in a nice nice residence. Okay. 
And so some of that is just very intuitive. Being able to talk and have the conversations about what's on their mind, to be up on what's happening with the economy, mm-hmm. uh, to, to read the books they've read, mm-hmm. and just educate oneself so that when those conversations come up, you don't feel just ridiculously out of place. Mm-hmm. You build rapport with them like you would anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, that's been very important as a pastor yeah. that it, it's intuitive. Membership's intuitive. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not logical. And, and I think particularly when it might come to um, the higher capacity donors and, and members who are able to give more, I think sometimes pastors or church leaders feel a little intimidated or um, not as comfortable, you know, maybe with the one-on-one conversations or, a, a, you know, just interacting with them, trying to find out what's t- going on, what what is that download that's going right. on in their life? Where are the, the, the pain points, the struggles that are going to be maybe unique to their situation? So... Um, any counsel you would give to Yeah, I would say work hard to overcome that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Anybody who comes into the church for the first time is anxious. Mm-hmm. And so when they go and they sit down in that seat, assume that a great work has led up well, to them yeah, being there. Yeah. They're nervous. If you, you know, we know things like make sure that you have your, your sermon ready. Don't try to come up with it on the, on the spot. Um, make sure that your worship set, all of that is mm-hmm. is put together and done professionally. Now, we know those things to be true. And the goal of it is, Billy Graham used to say, we want them to uncross their arms. Mm-hmm. We're assuming their guard is up, they're a little bit anxious, and we want to, in the first five minutes, have them relax, uncross the arms for the high-capacity donor in a conversation with him or her, mm-hmm. there's also a level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, when a church, if they know who they are, if they see what they drove up in, it's almost as if a bullseye is on their like back. A target on them, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what can we get from you? You know, yeah. you can't. I, I can say this with all integrity. I've never asked anybody in my church for a dime mm-hmm. for me or the church. Mm-hmm. Never, and I don't intend to start. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time we had a million-dollar gift, sitting down for lunch with one of these guys, and they said, you know, what do you think the new building's going to cost? And we told him what it would cost. And he said, well, we'll, we'll do a million dollars this year. Wow. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. And I said, you understand, that's not why we had lunch today. Mm-hmm. You brought that up. I didn't bring that up. Mm-hmm. And he said, I understand. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's part of the reason he was – willing to do it so just to be you know just to build a relationship never ask them for a dime part of that was from my father um you know learning that that dad had that bullseye on his back Mm -hmm. and he understood it yeah he wasn't angry about it but the church that he resonated with was the one that would be his friend You not not look for what they could get from him. Yeah, you know? that's good. That's, I, I need to find out where that restaurant was because I think there's something in the food there that I want to <laughs> <laughs> know. Uh, no, just making yourself available and like you said, it's not a it's not a pressure time mm-hmm. or a, you're, you know you're just relating to them and giving them the opportunity. Um, talk a little bit about um, you know speaking vision to the church or you know how you uh as you're talking about the future whether it's hey we're going to do build this building we're going to start this new ministry and as you vision cast for the church 
how does that intersect or how do you tie that into the now we also need to give to this vision and that mm-hmm. sort of thing is it um, uh, how how you know even from the pulpit you know from like we said the the pulpit ministry isn't everything uh, in terms of leadership but it's certainly the center of everything uh, you know I've heard it called the steering wheel of the church sure. that sort of thing so how, how have you used just the your your public speaking time your sermon time uh, to both cast vision and then maybe you know draw people into a higher level of engagement I, I wish that I could say I'd really premeditated a lot of that and and written some material on it um, I don't feel like I'm the the model for that at all if you go back and listen to our sermons when it comes up in the text we address it okay you know we go through books of the Bible occasionally by maybe once a year we'll do a stewardship emphasis mm-hmm. in our fundraising for the new building coming up we will release the plans in stages and we'll have a dinner for people who've given over a certain amount and sit down with them and say this is the plan Mm -hmm. and this is what we think it's going to cost if you could let us know what you intend to do toward that it would be very helpful but we're not high pressure we don't pass the plate in our not? church, yeah. we you know after COVID, we, we things were going so well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's blue boxes at the exits. If they want to give, they give. If they don't, I can't tell you. I think last Sunday I mentioned it, and it and it, it occurred to me how it had been so long since I've even reminded them that we take the offering at the back. But they still, I'm talking in units. So you've got the people giving ten dollars. You've got the people giving ten thousand dollars. We have the, the, the highest number of units giving, and we have um, the spectrum. Right. You know, uh, first-time givers coming in on a regular basis. And so how do you explain that? You know, it, there's not a really great system that I can point you to. When we welcome guests, mm-hmm. we, we point to those blue boxes and say, that's where our people give. Yeah. You know, drop your card in there. Yeah. But beyond that, um, there's just not it's not a frequently discussed thing in our church mm-hmm. and so I tend to think that the momentum and the morale are so strong okay. that we're not having to pull teeth okay. people want to contribute they want to be a part of it well, well let's let's dive a little bit deeper into that momentum and morale so mm-hmm. as a leader you don't create that but you can uh, uh, provide an environment for the morale and the momentum. So, so maybe we just zoom out a little bit and just talk about your leadership approach in general. Um, how have you tried to create that forward momentum for the church in the last five years? Well, we inherited a very difficult situation. The church had just relocated, and that is an exhausting thing for any pastor, yeah, you know, especially a First Baptist downtown right. kind of congregation. So. The, the pastor that preceded me did so many things well, and, and I really set me up for a win. But when he got into the building, he was very tired. Yeah. And he turned over the leadership to another staff member. Another staff member, the other staff member was brand new. Mm-hmm. And so he did what many lay people would do. He looked at best practices. He looked at the largest churches in the nation and said, let's just copy and paste, do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so he, he did away with Sunday night, did away with Wednesday night, did away with midweek meal, did away with visitation, went from uh, campus-based 
Sunday school classes to home groups, all the things that work in a lot of places. Sure. He did it all in about two weeks. Oh my, yeah. And so you you had when I came in, you had a very anxious, uneasy congregation wondering where their church went. And so we just started kind of bringing some of those things back and and used it as an opportunity to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Mm -hmm. Made Wednesday night sort of an open mic Mm Q&A. And we we call Wednesday night more dialogue, Sunday mornings more monologue. And we, we brought the meal back in and it became one of the biggest gatherings to, for food on the island. Hmm. Um, you know, we have just a great, great midweek meal. All those just simple things that, that are very traditional aspects of church. Those things don't work anymore. No, you, you, you know, you just can't believe everything you read, you know. Um, sometimes I've wondered, some of the best church growth books have been written by people who have never really grown a church. So we, we went back and just did some of those things. And our people just appreciated it. It wasn't that it was some secret sauce. They just saw that we're there to serve them. Mm -hmm. We're there for them. They're not there for us. And when we kind of presented it that way, they they got on board. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in in the mix, as the staff sort of, you know, we we recognized a few people didn't need to be on the bus, a few people were in the wrong seats, and – I can't say enough about the amazing staff I have. And please, Pastor, if you come after my staff, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pray some imprecatory <laughs> prayers, you know. But um, I've got an amazing staff, Amen. and absolutely, I'm not I'm not saying this because this is what you're supposed to say. They are incredible, and they like their jobs. They're happy, um, and that that tends to spread, it seems. And I get to do what I do best. Yeah. You know. So so making sure you've got the right team around you. So important. Yeah. 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 I'm going to kind of start to wrap up a little bit, but um, uh, you've been in ministry now over 20 years, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, in this area of, of just cultivating stewardship in general, as well as with, we talked about the high capacity donors, but just just being a, a good leader that provides that part of the discipleship journey of trying to see that part of people's lives be uh, turned over to the Lord and, and uh, part of, part of uh, just being a generous disciple of Jesus. Um, what would you tell the younger, you know, uh, Pastor Zach, uh, you know, 20 years ago that you've learned now that maybe you would have done or mm. emphasized more or, or less? Or uh, just what, what are things that maybe you've learned that like, man, if I, I wish I had known that or practiced that more, just, just life lessons that you'd want to share? In my first church, we had a secretary, an assistant, um, financial, financial secretary actually named March. Mm-hmm. And when I came into the church, she was very, obviously her countenance just showed she wasn't very happy I was there. And, and I, I worked with her every day, cut up with her, tried to get along with her. Probably about a year into it, something changed in March, and she became my best friend. Uh, she keeps up with me to this day. We're Facebook friends, all that, you know. And before I left, I asked Marge, I said, Marge, why, what, what happened? I said, not only were you rude to me when I got here, I said, every pastor that preceded me said you were rude to them. Wow. I said, what changed? She said, well, I'm the financial secretary, and I know that you give. And she said, some other pastors in our past mm-hmm. have not. Yeah. And 
you know, I would hear them teaching on it, and I and it bothered me. Yeah. It was just always a, a difficult thing. So, one thing that I that the young Zach did right was he gave. Yeah, and that was just a pattern from you know coming to Christ at nineteen to I'm 46 today, and that's just been a pattern of life, mm-hmm. you know, starting with the tithe and, and being faithful just to give back to the church. Right. And I, I would say to the church first, yeah. you know, that was always a priority for me, and it's followed me throughout my ministry, not perfectly, but yeah. as a pattern, that's been that's been the, the pattern of my life. Yeah. Uh, somewhere along the way, in my second church, I would say, I learned that the biggest troublemakers that I've ever dealt with gave very little to the church. Wow. Yeah. And the people who gave the lion's share of the budget, for me, were never troublemakers. They were so easy to lead and get along with. They normally had too much to do to give me much of a fit, you know. Mm-hmm. It, right before I left my previous church, the executive pastor had taken another opportunity. And we were in this strange moment where I needed to look at the books. Nobody else really knew how the computer system worked. Okay. So I needed to look at the books. So I, I, he gave me access to things I didn't previously have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I logged in at that time, I think it was ACS, mm-hmm. and I clicked that button that sorted givers from, you know, for the, for the year to right. date, from biggest giver down to the least. So just to clarify, you weren't necessarily looking at the oh, no. numbers, but you did see kind of a ranking of yeah, yeah, yeah. giving. Yeah. So I, I get that, and I get that access, which was totally an accident, and it and it had some ancillary kind of benefits to it. Mm-hmm. But when I saw it, <laughs> I looked at who these top givers were, and I saw names. This I'm, I'm, My foot's out the door at this point. Right. I'm leaving within six months. But I see names, and I, I was absolutely shocked. At who those names were, because uh, one uh, one gentleman in particular was the most mild mannered, not a type A personality, but was so generous. And as I looked down the list, I started to realize the people that kept me awake at night Mm -hmm. and that had just given me a fit Mm -hmm. for nine years and made that ministry very difficult. They were not giving typically anything. And I thought, if I could only go back and redo this nine years, mm. this would look a lot different. Mm. Uh, and so what would that mean? That would mean I would put some boundaries around my life yeah. and, and, and choose who I'm going to let bring anxiety sure, in. Sure. So in, this, in the second church, we came, or the third church, we came into it with eyes wide open okay. and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to fly a, a, a plane here. Mm-hmm. I need to see all the instruments. I need to see where this thing's going. I need right. to look at the barometric pressure and the horizon and the speed and all of these different things mm-hmm. and give me all the data mm-hmm. let me have access to it and when I did I was able to look at it and see that it, it was true again you know every church has the chihuahuas that are nipping at your yeah. feet the whole time but the people who are really paying the bills in that church mm-hmm. were the most gracious sweet yeah. people right and so to look at it and just see what we're dealing with here, mm-hmm. and, and and add to that some people who were like the the widow who couldn't give very much, but you knew they were really giving for them a lot. Yeah, those were not headaches; those were sweet, godly Christian people. Yeah. And simultaneously, some of the people who tried to be headaches mm-hmm. 
they couldn't anymore. Right. You know, yeah. and so we, we we started to recognize that and and build our teams around mm-hmm. people who number one were giving. Right. We didn't have a dollar amount on it, but they were. We, we yeah. don't let someone be a deacon or be on a committee if they're not already um, stepping up as a donor and saying, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be right. also. You know. Just to follow up on that, too, I, I take from that the assumption that you have a requirement or an assumption that if you're going to serve in a leadership role and a deacon or certainly a staff mm-hmm. position that you are actively giving absolutely to the every every year mm-hmm. let me let me say this as well i have a great executive pastor and so he manages most of that mm-hmm. and i think in the last couple of weeks he did the annual checkup mm-hmm. And came and said, you know, there were a few staff members who weren't contributing. Well, you know, you you don't assume, so you have those conversations. You right. find out, well, this one's giving cash. Mm. Um, you take them at their word. You know, we're not. And another one had a home church in in Africa that mm. he was sending money to. Yeah. So things like that, we give all the benefit of the doubt. Sure. You sure. know, yeah. and 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 really take them at their word there. And then sometimes somebody just says, well, look, we've really gone through some difficult times right. and we find out we have an opportunity to do to ministry, ministry to them, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we do that with staff. We yeah. do that with our deacons. We do that with committee people before anybody rolls onto a team. Okay. There's a checkup there and they know it. Yeah. I have access to see what I need to see mm-hmm. Surprisingly, I never really cared to look. It just doesn't yeah. tempt me. Right. I thought it would at one time in ministry, mm-hmm. but I trust the executive pastor to let me know what I need to know. Sure. Um, I get a report on certain gifts above a certain amount every okay. week, yeah. and it's just not fun to me to look at that anymore. You know, it's yeah. it, it, early on. I think it was pretty intriguing. Mm-hmm. But it's not anymore. Right. I kind of know who's who, and right. you know. Um, but I think somebody on the team needs that needs to be looking at yeah. what people are doing, right. so that the enemy doesn't come in and get a foothold. You know, it would be very easy to go into any Baptist church and sort of do a hostile takeover. Right. Yeah. You know, just by getting on the right teams, sure. changing the bylaws, yeah. it's not hard to do. It, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, we've seen it way too right. much. Well, Pastor Zach Terry, you've been very generous with your time. I do have a, a one final question, though. You mentioned your your uh, story coming from Alabama, uh, and you're here now in Florida. And I think your college affections have evolved and changed some mm-hmm. in the last few years. But where, where, being from Alabama, where, where, how did you grow? Were you roll tide or were you well? You know, tigers the, the Bible says that that all liars shall go to Auburn. So, <laughs> um, we were always roll tied and, and I'll always be a Bama fan deep down, but my children, two of my, my oldest children are at UF now. And so we go to the Gator games. We're orange and blue. We're, we're pulling for the Gators. Where your treasure is your heart. That's right. Away. A lot of money's going to Gainesville. <laughs> Got it. Well, thank you so much for your, uh, your time. I know that you have, uh, a ministry uh, where you're uh, serving others in a variety of ways. How, how can people get in touch with you or follow you online? Or what's the best way to get in touch? ZachTerry.com, Z-A-C-H-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I love pastors. And if I can, if anybody has questions, anything I can help them with, especially with stewardship, more than happy to give them access to what we've learned and, and give them any advice we can. Well, we're grateful the Lord sent you to Florida. I'm glad you're here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for your time today. Thank you.
Stewardship Simplified podcast is provided for general information purposes only and does not offer or constitute personalized financial, investment, tax, or legal advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from a tax, financial, or legal professional. Mentions of the Church Growth Investment Fund are not an offer to sell nor a solicitation of an offer to buy securities of the Church Growth Investment Fund. Any solicitation of an offer to buy or sell is made solely through and by CJF's offering circular, which you should read carefully before making an investment decision. Offer and sales of these securities will be made only through representatives of the Church Growth Investment Fund. CGIF securities are subject to certain risk factors as described in the offering circular.